And good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode, episode 27 of Dicing with Design podcast. We will be your hosts for this episode. I'm Grant. I'm Colin. And I'm Joe. Hello, everyone. Nice little change to the intro there, Grant. Surprised me, but, uh, you know, I can roll with it. Okay, cool. It's uh, <laughs> oh, oh, live music doesn't work, man. I'll I'll put it in after. Yeah, okay. I'll it doesn't work in my brain. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone that doesn't know why that messed up, uh, we're playing live music for for a change, and uh, it puts Grant right off. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool. I like live music. Just See, a bit. Let's put it back on. <laughs> <laughs> Never get tired of that. Jingle. No, never, never, never. <laughs> okay, guys, so today uh, we've got a lot to catch up on. We've not actually uh, recorded an episode together uh, since June because uh, the last few was, was was an interview that I did with uh, Danny from Those Who Play, and he was successful as Kickstarter. And before that, it was, we're working out just off air that it was uh, sometime in June. So a lot to get caught up on. I've done a lot of gaming in in the meantime, and lots to lots to talk about. Uh, so that's probably mostly what we're going to talk about. Uh, have a look at the show notes for uh, topics there. If there is anything in particular you fancy or or don't fancy. Um, so I thought we'd start off with some news. Uh, Games Workshop, the GW financial report. Shows what their strategy, what their strategy is going to be. I thought, sort of, as as the industry leaders, I think there's some things that uh, were really important to go over. Uh, later, later on, I should say, we'll be coming how we got on with Joe's uh, dungeon bash game, uh, Stag Quest. Stag uh, Quest. There was much drinking. It's in the rules. Had to. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, uh, but first of all, we're going to start with the GW Financial Report. Dicing with Design, giving games life. Uh, have either of you guys read this? Not the, no, no, I haven't read the official report. I just read a few comments on the forums, but I'm a bit in the dark, really. So, yeah, enlighten us, please, Grant. Oh, you went on forums, yes. I, I looked on in, in forums for about two minutes before I ran away from those screaming as I usually do from nerd rage. Some interesting uh, points came up there. First of all, the language he used, it, didn't, it all seemed quite David Brent at some points. He really does want us to know that he's a really cool businessman sometimes. And I'll, I'll come back to that as we, as we go through it. Um, the headline news really is that uh, the revenues were like 6.5% down last year, uh, falling from last year. And think of the products that they've actually released in that time. Hmm. They have Space Marines Codex, uh, you know, for their, their leading range. Uh, the 40k rulebook. Yeah. Which is yeah. probably the only thing they that... Really, uh, yeah, they must have released more in the past 12 months, like, especially moving to the um, weekly Games Workshop, uh, sorry, Red Dwarf episodes as well, and sorry, magazines episodes, uh, and sort of generally putting out more models every single month, aren't they? Aye, but 
Was, was some of that to do with their licenses, though? Had like some of their licenses expired that they were getting, like um, some of the software companies with THQ that used to pay them a fair whacking licensing and, and it no longer exists or something? Yeah, I think that might have had a big. Uh, was that not like? It might. It probably was. I don't know the, the dates exactly. Because it's been a while. So I mean, you know, when did Space Space Marine was the, the last big game that came out? Uh, and that that's got to be a few years ago now. Mm. Anyway, yeah. So down down quite a lot, and they've had some major ranges come out as well. I mean, the only thing that could well, there's there's nothing that they should be making as much profit on as the 40k rulebook coming out. A lot there's, there's a lot of this has been commented on in the uh, Beasts of War, uh, Warren over in Beasts of War said quite a lot on that. Though he's, he's not said he's not mentioned uh, all the major things. So that's one of the things he was talking about there. One thing is, that, I mean, they actually optioned a five million pound loan, which they didn't take. Apparently, that actually cost them thirty grand to even just have that to agree that with the bank, which they didn't take up. I guess that's if uh, 40, the 40k rulebook didn't dig them out of the mud. Um, what else? It's, um, a turnover of about 120 million incoming. And I was wondering whether that is a bit... How, how big is that on the grand, in the grand scheme of things? You know, once you get up to the, these sorts of sums, the normal person really can't uh, uh, sort of grasp that. And I had a quick oh, look at... Hmm? That's turnover, though, isn't it? That's not profit. That's turnover, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. What was the profit on that, you know? Was it, I mean, turnover, it doesn't sound massive for a multinational company, does it? No. But then I was looking at Wizards of the Coast. All I could find were the 2012 results, and there were something like... Well, I've got them up here somewhere. I think that was, what, $40 million in 2012 uh, in, uh, income? Uh, income well, profit then, but not turnover. So. Uh, if, if you sort of look at the sort of size of business, I was just looking at turnover. But, uh, you know, they got half as much money coming in, so uh, I suppose uh, miniatures cost a lot more than uh, sheets of paper and, and little cards. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> they're, they're big in the gaming industry, obviously. Oh yeah, Games Workshop are, aren't they? So that's, no, that's, that's interesting if that's true. Those figures are true. That would suggest they're, they're much bigger than Wizards. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes. That's just just going from those rough figures. Um, yeah, they, they looks like they're they got a you know turnover about well three times the size. Mm. I suppose they, they do have to have their own shops, don't they? Their own chain of franchises. They are retailers and yeah. becoming increasingly so. Hmm. Um, there was um, talk of about, about they mentioned about the litigation. Now, this is a big thing in the industry, of course, because uh, Games Workshop can be quite uh, aggressive in pursuing their yeah in pursuing uh, their IP. Yes, protecting their IP, even even to the point of trying to tell everyone that uh, five thousand year old monster, the Lamassu, is is their is their uh, creation. Uh, and their property. Yes, they claim to have um, invented the Lamassu. Now it's uh, raging heroes just couldn't fight against. But anyway, uh, uh, so I was going to uh, tell us uh, tell you about the uh, 
the legal action that they take. Uh, I, I, don't I, know, I don't know what you're about to say, but that doesn't sound interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to keep this bit short, I reckon. <laughs> Just give us like maybe the bottom line of what you think. It, it sounds like they're going to be less litigious. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't. It's it's hard to understand. Here we go. Uh, we have this last year spent an indecent amount of our of your money, uh, referring to the shareholders, trying to stop someone stealing our ideas and images. It is a very difficult thing to do, and it is done through a legal system designed to prevent people stealing hogs from one another. So he doesn't like the doesn't like the legal system. Mm. Our experience has probably been typical of most. Far too much money spent on far too little gain. So yeah, he does look like he's uh, uh, mm. like he wants to spend less on legal action. Here we go. The argument is that we have to do this, or we will bit by bit lose everything we hold dear, everything that keeps the business going. Our crops will wither, our children children will die piteous deaths, and the sun <laughs> will be swept from the sky. <laughs> but is but is this true? This is no, a professional I'm document not, for a definitely not. I'm pretty sure Brian Cox would have told us if the sun was going to be swept from the sky. <laughs> it's, yeah, I'm reading through this as well, Grant. It's pretty. Um, it's, it's, I suppose, not, in a way, it's refreshing because it was very informal, but uh, yeah, that's a bit over very, the top. It's very, I'm so cool, isn't it? It's a bit David yeah. Brent. And uh, it's. It's it's not the sort of professional discourse that uh, I would expect as a shareholder in a hundred and twenty million pound uh, turnover company. <laughs> yeah. Then of course, then he starts talking about Steve Jobs, uh, who he clearly has read his book and thinks well of oh, himself right. because of it. And then he's got on about three um, D printers. Yeah, three D printers are the next uh, interesting thing. Uh, he's quite skeptical about the advancements in the technology, uh, and he's saying. Uh, I think probably quite wisely uh, was it. It's possible that one day we will sell, uh, you know, Citadel miniatures direct to uh, grateful hobbyists all over the world on on their three D printers. This, that will not happen in the next few years, or in city speak, forever. Which I think is probably true because the you know the market works short short term. Uh, yeah. So in terms in terms in financial terms, in terms of the share. Anything that shareholders are care about, 3D printers aren't going to be uh, a big thing as far as he's concerned. No, yeah, I think that's that's probably right. I don't think they're not going. The technology is not going there to make the detail of a Citadel miniature on a 3D printer for a long time. Yeah, they're so finely detailed. Aren't they? Yeah, I, the thing I'd never realised about them was how slow they are. I, there's a guy that um, is on my project that uses a 3D, 3D printers for part of what he researches, and he'd showed me this little thing that he printed, which is essentially a dice with a couple of little things on it, and it had taken a whole day to print. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a bit mental. Yeah, you're not gonna. It's going to take a while to print out your Imperial Guard army on that, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How many slaves do I need? Four hundred, right? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> three years. <laughs> <laughs> and and you don't get those for free. You have to pay for the material. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, here's another bit and bit of awesome, awesome uh, communication. On the first of January next year, I will be stepping down as CEO of Games Workshop. I intend staying on as non-executive chairman if the board will have me. So those of you who want to see an end to these preambles, rhymes with rambles. Don't get your hopes up just yet. Uh, 
Yeah, that's, that's, it's a bit kind of waste of time, pointless. What the hell is he putting that in for? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> at one point, at one point, he talks about four elements of the of the business and says, "I wish there was a fifth element, so then I could talk about movies." Eh? <laughs> eh? <laughs> We're not hoping to get Mister Tom Kirby on the podcast anytime soon. Then. <laughs> I think he'd come on. I think he'd come on. Just to, yeah. <laughs> I think he'd take us on. I don't think he would. Probably, I actually, probably. Hold <laughs> his own quite well, I'd imagine. Okay. Anyway, so, uh, more I'm seriously. I'm not CEO of anything yet. <laughs> more seriously, um, looking at some other things, uh, he talks about the ranges. Uh, the, basically, the key statement is Games Workshop strategy is to make the best fancy miniatures in the world and sell them globally at a profit, and it intends doing so forever. Well, that seems fairly straight. That seems fairly straightforward. Uh, they mm -hmm. they actually uh, say what what they mean by fancy miniatures, and that means 40k and, and fancy their own ranges. And uh, there's a quote about the Tolkien ranges here. They're basically saying it's a dwindling. Uh, basically saying that the Tolkien licenses are a rapidly dwindling uh, commodity. So well, they haven't built the, the giant chocolate dwarf yet, have they? When they when they make that model, <laughs> everyone will want it. <laughs> yeah, basically, it sounds like this Christmas's uh, this Christmas's box from from the last Hobbit film is going to be the last really reading between the lines, and. You're not. That's not going to be a, a well-supported game from now on. I think they're going to ditch it. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. They say they're a niche market, and they, they repeatedly talks about being a niche market. The, uh, we sell to third-party retailers under closely controlled terms and conditions. Those terms and conditions mean that we are unlikely to be attracted to heavy discounters, chains, or mass marketers. In other words, I doubt you'll find our products in Toys R Us or Walmart. Should he be happy about that? I think, yeah, I think given the nature of the product, yeah, he should. Because... If, if they could afford to sell it at mass market prices, then they're kind of everyone's going to buy it from there, and it's going to undercut the value or the perceived value of what they can sell models for at the moment, which is you know a massive amount for a bit of plastic. Like a Riptide's what forty odd quid or something, Imperial Knight sixty five quid or something. But the way I see it, I think they should. They they don't seem to be. They're very proud of their niche market. They don't seem to want to expand at all. I don't think they're really looking at, at growing the hobby. And from their own figures, it appears to be shrinking in terms of sales. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, they should. That's they need to be looking at growing the hobby. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think they'd grow it by going into the mass discounters, but. Uh, yeah, that ties into some of their other policies as well. Haven't they got like a, a one one man per store policy now? Like the majority of the games workshop stores are supposed to be run by a single full time member of staff. That's yeah. what I'm reading right now. Actually, there's just down below it talks about the um, yeah the stores basically their pro their approach is cheap, so small makes it cheap. Beaten chat off the beaten track makes it cheap, and with only one member of staff. Um, yeah, apparently they're a performance-related pay scheme, so he's capable of earning far more than before. <laughs> so yeah, sell shitloads of plastic and you make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
but you can't and sell if you need to go to the toilet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or lunch. That's why the Dundee yeah. one's closed for lunch now, then. <laughs> yeah, the Inverness one's just opened up at a one-man store as well. Uh, it is interesting... It says, it is interesting, they require all our stores to be profitable, it says here, in bad times as well as good. So they're not, what it says there, and I'd heard that some of their, some of their stores were lost making just to have, just to have be kind of, pardon? To have a presence. To be yeah. advertising, yeah. Yeah. But not, not according to that, so that's something that's new on me. Uh, here's another statement. Our market is a niche market made up of people who want to collect our miniatures. They tend to be male, middle class, discerning teenagers and adults. We do no demographic research. We have no focus groups. We do not ask the market what it wants. <laughs> yeah, that's not something to be proud of. <laughs> We just give them more space rings. Yeah, that, that's like, <laughs> if you read. <laughs> imagine buying a marketing book or a business yeah. growth that said that. So it's the key to ignore the, what the market wants. Exactly, ignore everything <laughs> that your customers say. <laughs> so they I only, can... so they only find out from their sales figures whether they were successful or not. <laughs> Yeah, that's quite cool. old. That's quite old school. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. Yeah, I've I've seen I've seen people talking online about and people who to say they know what they're talking about, saying that that there's a high likelihood the games workshop would going out of business. Well, perhaps I think um. If they do, we're not going to lose Warhammer. It's too too valuable a commodity and IP to uh, to lose entirely. Someone else, someone else will it will be picked up by someone else. Yeah. Oh, the fans will just keep it going. Like, you can still play Old Hammer. You can still play, you know, second edition, second edition Warhammer or third edition Warhammer. You know, there's there's like a community who plays that. Mm -hmm. so yeah, or or Blood Bowl here to stay. Yeah, yeah, the games are here to stay. And like you say, it, but it, it might be that they will change and yeah, decline, and the hobby as a whole will decline possibly. I think I would have to uh, with with the with the presence of shops. I oh, know it's quite a gloomy picture. I'd, I'd rather Games Workshop were surviving because uh, obviously that that drop and uh, drop in products would uh, loss of products temporarily even would 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 uh, hurt everyone. But yeah, it wouldn't harm them if there was a bit more equal competition. But yeah, I wouldn't like to see them go out of business. Yeah, no. Well, there would be competition, and maybe that would pick up somewhat. But mm, I don't think they'll go out of business. But I think they'll just scale it back as as it shrinks. Well, they are already scaling back. Yeah. Is that the plan? I think they. Do. I think they'll try and go more direct and uh, web based. And they probably will close a lot of the stores eventually. And is that what they mean by niche? Mm, I guess so. Yeah, it's part of it. I think that getting so, a yeah. greater yield, getting a greater yield for a smaller number of customers. I think mm. it's funny down the bottom here. They talk about they say that their target market, their particular customer is. Um, middle class uh, males discerning adults. And teenagers, um, 
that like sh the shops always seem to me to be catering to kids. They always seem to be like the point of them is so that kids, like little kids, 10, 12, 13 year olds that can go in and paint and play games and stuff. Hardly ever see somebody my age or like me in the shops when I go in, apart from the guys that work there. Mm. That's probably part of it, isn't it? Because that's, that's probably because they're looking at sale figures as well. The kids aren't buying anything, are they? They're just yeah. in there. Yeah, that's true. repainting their two space screens. Five previous staff were all just helping them paint rather than doing anything. <laughs> yeah, it is it is. Um, sorry, I was just going to going to go into the, the Warhammer, but if there's any more to say about like 40k or the business sense in uh, totality, then go no. for it. I just I, I think I think it's just just to sum up of that, that report then. I think there's some definite statements of intent from the CEO. And the thing is, these the statements of intent, they, they, these, he's, he's outgoing. Uh, there might be someone coming in with, with uh, different ideas in January and, and a new direction. I, I don't know how much power the CEO has or it's the, the board in its totality decides these things. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I don't have any expertise in this. Yeah, I think generally a CEO can override decisions, but you need to, I mean, it's not a good idea. You need support of the board and all that. Yeah, that's cool. So, uh, anyway, this talk of 40k, I have, uh, since our last podcast, succumbed and been drawn back into 40k. Anyway, I bought oh, really? The Storm, yeah, I bought the Stormclaw um, mm -hmm. new starter box set. Okay. Um, Which actions that? This, uh, that was the limited edition. Orcs versus Space Wolves. Okay. So, and they're really nice models, although I probably won't keep any of them because I, I play Tau and Iron Warriors. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, orc, the Orcs, especially the Grots, are great, and you get three Killer Can Dreadnoughts in there and stuff. So, so what was your thing buying it then? Do you just fancy painting them? Oh, mostly I wanted the rules. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> I just wanted the rules, and I didn't want to pay. Fifty quid for the three hardback books, whatever it is. So I paid seventy-five. Sixty, I think. Sixty, is it? Right. It's a lot. Anyway, so I paid seventy-five instead for for Stormclaw, but that is that's a limited edition starter set. So hopefully, I should be able to sell most of the bits that I don't want back on uh, eBay and recoup yeah. a good enough cost that it's not the rules haven't cost me that much. Yeah. Um, or otherwise, I might keep some of the models because they are really nice. Um, and they've just redone Dark Vengeance as well, so Dark Vengeance is going to be the standard starter set for 7th as well as it was for 6th. Right. Well, but they put they put some art on it this time at least. Yeah. Yeah, they changed the front of the box, so it's now got a, a picture of um, Dark Angels fighting Chaos Marines, as you might expect. Yes. My big uh, my big Necron spider now then if we're gonna play some forty k. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. Get some games in because uh, I've just got back into it because a, a, a friend at work has just started like he a couple of his mates play forty k and I've just been chatting to him about gaming and stuff in general. And then he's just started playing forty k, so it's good that we can just have really geeky chats about <laughs> building his <laughs> army list for his and what fact we had a big talk about yeah, a long discussion about what faction he was going to go because he was going to be space marines initially because his friend said that and then he quite liked the look of some of the other ones like the tower he wanted to go tau but then his friend two of the other people he's playing with are already tau so right. 
Anyway, let's go for the Grey Knights. Are they a Space Marine bunch? Yeah, they are, but they're like the uh, demon hunting special Space Marines who oh, are okay. in position and stuff. And yeah, they're yeah. all psychic. Really? They, were, they used to be like one of the real power armies, I think, back in sixth edition. But but now I think they're a bit more reasonable in the new edition. So. Sounds good. Yeah, I, d- I was quite. I haven't played much 40k at all since getting that army, but um. I always thought it seemed quite good. It's a nice simplified version of well, to me it seemed like a simplified version of fantasy. Simplified. But then, <laughs> yeah, but then that's what I was about to say. I think it was just because I wasn't playing with many of the rules. <laughs> Didn't have the uh, ciphers and all that kind of stuff in. So yeah, you're playing a very, you're playing a very small points game as well. Yeah, exactly. So it was like that. Yeah, fantasy seems quite simple when you just have a unit of twenty dwarfs battering a unit of twenty orcs. It's a lot simpler to build an army in fantasy, I found, just because the the codex that you have to use in 40k, you're constantly cross-referencing from one section to another section. Like you have to go and look in your army list to find out how much a unit costs, but then they'll have a special rule, and you'll be like, well, what special? What does that do? What does that bit of equipment do? And if you look at that bit of equipment, and it says, I'll oh, check this other page, and it just takes ages to <laughs> yeah. trying to figure out what war gear you need to buy or what any of it does. All right. Just might as well set out the book. Yeah, I think that's part of it. There's some parts like that are just after the big painting section, and, and then some bits just before. So you're constantly flipping between that that bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure it gets better with with practice, but with Warhammer, it always seemed a bit simpler. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, you didn't. Well, I don't magic know. You're only using the special items and the magic stuff. Not maybe not quite as often. Is that right? Like, because you're building your units quite a lot, and you only tend to use that stuff so much in the characters. I guess. Yeah, I think that's it. Whereas, whereas in 40k, you can have a lot of units that have loads of war gear choices of their own, and then special yeah. war gear choices and stuff. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh well. Anyway, okay. Um, so, well, what what else? Have, what else have you been up to, Joe? Um, I was just going to say a little bit more about about Warhammer. Some of the Warhammer rumours. I went still okay. finishing off the news. Um, oh, still on news. Good stuff. This is a big rumour that's just started doing the rounds on the, the forums recently, um, which sounds like it could be could be great or it could be terrible. The, 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 there's supposed to be a big campaign kicking off for Warhammer at the end of August, start of September time, big worldwide campaign event type thing. And the big rumour is that it, it's the return of Nagash. Nagash is coming back. <gasps> <laughs> Bobo the Clown is going to destroy you! <laughs> I would hope I would hope a new miniature that doesn't look like a clown and came out twenty years ago. Yes, definitely. If if there was ever a, a character in Warhammer who deserved a better miniature, it is Nagash. <laughs> so. I've actually I'm gonna have to right, okay. If anyone's wondering what Nagash is, it looks like I'm gonna put on the cover of the uh of He's basically the... Sauron, isn't he? He's he's the necromancer. The super evil necromancer of the Warhammer world. Mm-hmm. And I'll put a, I'll put a, I'll make his uh, pic, picture of his miniature the uh, yeah he was last seen in what the nineties oh he's coming up now on Google Images <laughs> he doesn't look good <laughs> he's a he's yeah. an angry skull <laughs> well, you can feast your your eyes upon him. Um, but I think that might be interesting that apparently there's rumours that they might be moving the timeline on. This is going to be like the end times, and there has been rumours that Warhammer is going to 
not be supported in the same way, which might tie in with some of the things we heard from the Games Workshop financial statement that Warhammer kind of eighth edition is going to be the last edition as a big battle game, and then the timeline's going to move on, and there's going to be rules for a slightly different Warhammer set after the coming of Nagash and the end of times. Now, I didn't see anything like that in the in the report, um, so maybe it's just rumor. It, yeah, it could be. It could be no one's sure for now, but this has kind of come up by, from quite a lot of different sources, and it would kind of make sense from a business perspective in that people, it's hard to get into Warhammer because you need such a big outlay, whereas if, if their flagship fantasy game was easier to get into, like you could start with a lower model count and then kind of expand it into Warhammer, it would make make more sense and probably help sell more uh, units. Yeah, because it's, it's just this crept, the model count has crept up and crept up as they've, as they've gone along. Mm, yeah, it has. When you look back at the old uh, army lists from 3rd edition or whatever, they were, you'd kind of rarely have more than 100 models on the table, I think. Whereas, whereas that's like the bare minimum for some unit sizes now. <laughs> I would think of their revamping as well, I think what, what, they may want to do is make it a bit more individual to themselves as well. The a lot of these fan series are quite generic. I mean, the way they do chaos and also the Skaven are fairly unique to themselves. But apart from that, very generic, and and it means other people can make armies. Uh, you know, you know, yeah. third parties can come in. You can't copyright an orc, can you? Otherwise, Tolkien would have done it because everyone's ripped him off. <laughs> yeah, and it's not as and it's actually the universe isn't as engaging as as 40k. No, it's it's not. It's not totally. And I think it goes back to the origins of Warhammer, wasn't it? That basically it was a D and D substitute. It was when they lost the rights to distribute D and D. Games Workshop, Steve Jackson, Ian Livingston wanted a replacement world for that, so they could have their own fantasy world. So it was convenient to keep all the tropes from Dungeons and Dragons, which had, you know, taken them mostly from Tolkien anyway. Mm-hmm. But right. but now I think that there'd be more scope for, like you say, doing it more like 40k. Like the orcs in 40k are great, and the different tribes and things—they all have, have their own identities, and it can be great fun to just read some of their their buff and the, the mm-hmm. moons and the speed freaks and things. Whereas orcs in Warhammer are just orcs, really, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they like do have the they, they do have the the big tusk jaws, which a lot of people don't like, and I really do. Uh, they they do try and make it as as individual as they can, but or, orcs and you know they're they're brutish, big man type monster creatures. Yeah, that's it. And I wonder if it's kind of a victim of their own success in a way that people like Warcraft mainly has based their orcs on. Games Workshop orcs to a long, to a large extent. Yeah, yeah. So. I think um, so. You know, if if it does turn out in the storyline that uh, you know the the kingdoms of men are smashed, uh, and, and they maybe fragment and and do, you know, have their own thing, and maybe the empire becomes smaller armies with all with little with something a bit more individual and a bit more fantasy. Maybe they have their own little gods or something so that they can sell something individual and something a bit more um, unique. 
then, then maybe that would be a better product. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to see what happens yeah. with that. Okay. You heard it here first. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, more new, uh, any more on that, Joe? Um, I think that's all I got for now. Okay, uh, more news. Uh, there's a Kickstarter uh, by Mantic Games started up uh, called Dungeon Saga. They they've gone through a few names. Uh, it's kind of a sequel to the Dwarf King's Hold that we've talked about before. Uh, and there's a really good podcast about it. <laughs> oh really? Tell us about it, Grant. <laughs> I had a moment of madness on the first day of the Kickstarter. I backed it and was like trying to look for information about it and thought, I could do a podcast on this. I'm trying to do a daily podcast on, on, on based on this Kickstarter, trying to keep it short and, and sweet. So if you're interested in this, pod, in, in this uh, Dungeon Bash game, it looks like it's going to be kind of a successor to HeroQuest. Which was that? Which we've definitely talked about extensively before on the podcast. Indeed. And uh, yep, your your heroes are a barbarian, a wizard, an elf, and a dwarf, for instance. Uh, but the the monsters a lot more cohesive. They're all undead, certainly just for now, which which is quite cool. So you can get a box of un, of undead stuff uh, to go along with it. The the tiles are thicker than the old Dolph Dwarfing's Hold game. Uh, there's lots of cards you can upgrade your equipment. It's very much an adventure dungeon bash, dungeon bash game. So we listen to the podcast with Grant every day. <laughs> Absolutely, during the during August is is um, could try and keep it daily. You know, I mean, po- uh, Kickstarters do go a bit uh, quiet in the middle of the month, so maybe that's when I'll I'll maybe take things more in depth. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, sorry, just now there's stuff happening every day. Uh, we're up to it's up to uh, heading towards a quarter of a million dollars just now, and they're uh, looking to fund a troll hero, an undead troll shaman. Sorry, I say hero, I mean monster. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a boss actually. They seem to be going for a sort of a computer game style structure where you have little mini- yeah, a boss That's zombie a zombie troll. Trolls. Is that the next? That's the next uh, stretch goal then. That's the next stretch goal. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so listen so to that. Well, there's 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 only one. It's it's a it's a different kind of uh, Kickstarter. There's only one backing level. A uh, hundred dollars. I got in in the first five minutes. So literally, it had to be in the first five minutes. I clicked on it. I, I was literally hitting refresh. Uh, as it hit half past one on Friday afternoon, and it popped up. I clicked on it right away. Already, uh, three people had had somehow got through the entire Amazon payment process, and <laughs> we went to four nine seven. Uh, then, by the time I went through all of the all the clicking of the buttons, uh, there was maybe a hundred left of the five hundred and fifty, and within four minutes, uh, it had it had gone all all the only save myself five bucks, really, right. $100. But, uh, yeah, it's been fun sort of seeing seeing how things are going. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited about it because it's a Dungeon Bash game. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll, 
I'll keep us all up, up in touch with it. It's going to be short episodes of the podcast uh, every uh, every every day, five to ten minutes, just on one topic, and then saying goodbye. That is mental. How much they've got already in the first? However much it is, five days yeah. is it so far? Because you Three. can only pledge a hundred dollars. Yeah. Fifteen hundred people willing to spend that. Well, more than that, two thousand people. There are add-ons as well. Um, there, there are more add-ons added today, uh, where you can get. There's a wee box of miniatures you can get, which is the war game miniatures because they're mostly one-piece constructions. Uh, but you can also buy like resin versions of them. They started. Uh, they put out some to- some resin tokens. They nice-looking wound counters, uh, and and stuff. And as you go on, there'll be you know plastic furniture instead of instead of the cardboard tokens and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that all that all the usual sort of gobbins, I think. Indeed. Okay, any more use guys? No, I think we're on to all good. What we've been playing. Yeah, and there's certainly been a lot of that. So after the break, we'll come back and tell you about what we've been up to. Do you want to start us off then, Joe? Yeah, um, I'll go first. I've not played that much other than. Um, yeah, so I've, I've, although it's been a while, I've unfortunately not played that many games apart from the games that we've we've all played and been involved with. So we're going to get to them later, aren't we? To uh, Stag Quest and Archipelago and Small World. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did get a game of Warhammer in with the New Wood Elves. So I've had, I've had one game with a new book. Which is interesting to to play, and they do they do feel they're a lot stronger than they were in the old book, which it was, it was good. Yeah, needed to happen really <laughs> uh, to to bring them in in balance. But that, um, yeah, they're strong. They have got some decent units, but overall, I don't know. I don't think they're quite as much fun. Overall, it's I mean they got a power upgrade. It's really nice that they can take any law of magic now. That's a big big difference. I like the fact that they can take on the high magic from the high elves and the dark magic from the dark dark elves. Yeah, that's quite good. That's interesting that suddenly they're like pretty much almost at the top of the tree magically, whereas last edition they were they had to take a level four to be able to take any sort of useful law. <laughs> so Yeah it was bad. Um that's a big change. Um yeah, the the new Way Watchers are really good with their armor piercing arrows, and especially as I was taking on Pete, I was playing against his Empire, which is like a, a, a pretty much all cavalry empire. It's got a unit of great swords, but other than that, it's all like one plus armor save, two plus armor save guys. So having Way Watchers who could ignore armor saves were brilliant against him. And um, so you took the exact thing to counteract his army. <laughs> I took two small units of Way Watchers. Okay. Yeah. Well, he took the exact thing to counteract them. He took the fireball ring, but fortunately, only killed two with a magic missile. <laughs> so. um, yeah, they were quite fun to play, but maybe not as as much fun as they were in the last edition. I don't know. I'll get a few more games in with them. War dancers are now worthwhile, which is 
brilliant. They're actually okay. They can do something. <laughs> I don't release new models for that, but that's actually quite, that's fine because they're actually still still those kind of stand up. Those those models. The yeah, eighties models. I think they're the best ones. The true wardances. Yeah. Uh, so what is it? What is it that's not fun about them? Um, they just feel like it's a bit like the problems we sometimes have playing Tau. Like the it feels like the best build from really is to just build a load of archers with the true flight arrows who get to ignore to hit penalties, and then you just want to basically want to sit thirty inches away from the enemy for as much of the game as possible, and then just have nice. avoidance units that will just avoid combat and not. <laughs> So it's most more of a gun line than the uh, sort of the guerrilla warfare that you're looking you maybe looked for. Yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. Um, but I think time will tell. I think they're still they're still fun to play. You can still have a really maneuverable army, and I'm looking forward to like trying the wild riders and sisters of thorn units because I think they'll be interesting. Although they probably are just avoidance units and glass hammers. Okay, so what else have you been playing? Other than that, not a great deal. Just uh, I think just stag questing the games that were played with with you guys. So um, yeah, a bit of a been a bit busy over the summer, so gaming's taken a bit of a hit. Looking forward to getting some more games in. Cool. Okay, how about you, Cole? I think most of them have been yeah, stag quest, obviously. Um, then we've played a few small games since then. We, me and you played uh, X-Wing. We had quite a couple of good games oh. at X-Wing, didn't we? Yeah, we've got new ships, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, I, I got the uh, TIE Fighter Bomber, and Grant bought the Millennium Falcon, of course. Can't not buy the Millennium yeah. Falcon. <laughs> Had to get the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. So we, how many points did we play again? Was it 80? We went up to 80. We've been playing 50-point games with the with two yeah. star kits. Yeah, no. so we moved up to 80, and it, it was a good game. We had two games, I think, didn't we? Um, they were two good three, games. Yeah. Three, might be, maybe even, yeah. And really enjoyed them. There's still, there's definitely, like, you're right, Joe, there's, a, there's possibly a wee bit too much, depending on the dice, and they're a bit weighted towards 50-50 chances as opposed to... <laughs> As opposed to if you set up a perfect attack, it's quite easy to miss. But I still, I'm still wondering what it'll be like when you play with a bit more points. So I wonder if we're still just a bit low in points, and that obviously just makes it a bit more random because you're playing with such worse units. So uh, I don't know at the moment whether that'll make that much of a difference. But the bomber's interesting. The fact they can drop bombs, it, do, it makes it a much more long term. <laughs> Sorry, say that again. Same bombs in space. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, mines or whatever you want to call it. Drop them out his back and hope somebody flies into them. Uh, so it's a bit of a kind of chess planning three turns ahead, wondering where your opponents are going to go. And I have to admit, I, I think given how hard it is, well, I'm kind of ex, an expert obviously at the moment, I've not practiced it much, but it seems to me it is quite hard to get the bombs just right. Um, given how hard it is, I think they should hit harder. So they're not that much more powerful than a standard shot. They're a wee bit more powerful, but they're not hugely amount more powerful. Kind of feel like because of how unlikely you are to actually hit with the damn things, that should just kill a, kill something if it actually gets them. <laughs> but, um, I'll, I'll say two. Th I'll say two things to the bomber. Sure. Uh, one, you, 
to, to fit for, to fit them in the points, you took the worst pilot skill, uh, the the pilot with the worst pilot yes. skill. Yeah. Uh, on that bomber. Now, yep. the way that the way that the turn order works is your, uh, the the pilot with the highest pilot skill moves last, but but yeah, moves last. So moves if you if you if you got the best pilot on the on the on the board and with that with that yeah. uh, with that ship, then he will know whether it's worth dropping his bomb or saving it for later. Yeah, yeah. So but, if he's good. Yeah, but yes, that does give you an advantage, you're right, in a way, but that's still relying on you moving towards my ship. So I can only drop it when I start moving. So basically, it makes it worth dropping it if suddenly if you've moved within the range of within the one range of me, then yeah, I can drop a bomb and get a guaranteed hit. Um, but yeah, it's still likelihood is likelihood Sorry? is if you if you can't if you don't, if you don't do that, then if it doesn't happen, then it, it's going to be at least two turns before you can set up that position again. Exactly. Yeah, and it's just as likely you'll turn right and left instead of left and not come near me. <laughs> so it's just it's quite it's it's a nice little strategic thing that you can try and plan in, and it is lovely when it comes off. But they're worth a wee, they're worth a fair bit of points, not that much. I mean, like three to five points type of thing. But um, you feel like ship. Yeah, I feel like I should take out a ship if you actually yeah. mine it. You designed it <laughs> a higher, higher payout if you actually exactly. put it away. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> well, se- the second thing, the second thing I was going to say is it's the only way I've seen so far of getting a guaranteed hit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can hit two or three ships at the same time, and the guaranteed hit gives you a gives you a crit as well. So you can either save, I suppose, either save the bomb towards the end mm-hmm. to get a guaranteed that last guaranteed hit to finish off your opponents, or use it at the start to uh, sap them earlier on. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's good fun. I enjoy the games. I, st- I still like the game a lot. Um, but yeah, I-, I think we should play more scenarios. I think the fight to the death is a wee bit um, yeah. unfocused. <laughs> so yeah, I'd like to try scenario. a bit more of this. Yeah, I'd like to try a bit more of the scenarios. It get it can get yeah definitely get a bit just basically cat and mouse like you're kind of turning around and trying to fly each other and a, bit, a wee bit random. Whereas if the scenario is like with the ship that's just right across the board, for example, at least you've got a bit more of a focus and yeah, I, I feel like they might be a bit more fun. Yeah, I look, I look forward to trying that out. Hmm. Uh, anything else for us? Yeah, that was good. Uh, I got uh, I got through Insecurity, the card game. So I'll just tell you a wee bit about it. We've not played it yet, so I won't talk about it much, but I'll just describe it to you. This is the Kickstarter that I got for two quid. One of the best Kickstarters ever. <laughs> uh, and all that came through was um, tarot-sized cards. So I can hold them up to the camera so I can show you and uh, uh, you too. But obviously the viewers can't see this, listeners can't see it. But essentially the cards are, there's six cards, all of which have a coding on one side which show what the dice rolls do. So like um, rule of one gets you a private stash, gain secrets equal to the number of different or identical dice in the pool. Two gets a two-man job. You and a previous player gain one secret. So I haven't played it yet, uh, so I don't really know what effect these have, but if you get the idea that one side is how the dice work and then the other side is you put it together and it shows you the rule book. So it's quite a cool little design of a game. It's a tiny little pack. So all it is is these six tarot-sized cards and it includes both a card for each player to know the rules, the basic rules, and then they all go together to make a rule book. <laughs> so it's quite cool. Right. Um, just the way it's been put together. 
What's, what's the game about? So uh, I'll give you the overview. The players are security agents of the feared new security alliance. They take turns accessing their employer's database to look for state secrets or at least some juicy office gossip. Each turn, the active player can either start a new hack or scavenge for leftovers from the previous hack. The first player to, correct, to collect 14 secrets wins the game. Uh, so the whole point was meant to be that it's just a really quick, easy, quite fun game that you can just play with six players, just with a set of dice. So it needs very little prep, very little kit. Uh, and it gives you something to do for 20 minutes. Yes, so a bit of a filler yeah, game. Yeah, that sounds fun. We'll have to give that a bash. Yeah, yeah totally. It was, it was like, I just saw it, and it was Kickstarter. Two pounds to get involved, and you get a set of cards. I was like, I, ca I can't not buy that. <laughs> for two quid. Yeah, you can't, so, yeah. can't we'll see with that. If it, if it entertains us for more than 10 minutes, then it's probably worth it. So yeah, anyway, um, I think that's about it though, isn't it? We feel, um, oh yeah, we're going to talk about the archipelago in a bit later, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay, that's it for me then. Of course. Oh, okay. one last tiny mention. <laughs> I, uh, oh. I, it, when I was in New York um, a couple of weeks ago for work, I ended up at a conference dinner and uh, chatting to the guy next to me. And as is usual at these things, it's always a pretty bit, bit of a struggle. You know, you're trying to figure out things in common, nothing really going. And it turned out the guy sitting next to me was a semi-professional chess player. Oh, all right. I didn't cool. think such a thing existed. <laughs> so I, I ended up having uh, a, quite a good, long, drunken conversation with him about... Uh, playing chess and like all his sort of um, philosophy behind uh, learning chess and how to play it and you know uh, his club and how he, how he brings up new players and all this kind of stuff. Um, it was quite cool. And one of the most interesting things he said, I asked him about uh, skill, like so obviously it's the whole balance of games of how to how to make a game that is that includes enough chance to make it interesting but enough skill to make it so that the better player usually wins. Yeah. Uh, and I always think of chess as probably being a very good example of a good balance of that because there's, I don't know, yeah. I always imagine that the better player usually wins in chess. There's not yeah. much to well, there's no chance That's in what it. You think. Yeah, that it's supposed to be, yeah, every piece, you've got identical pieces, haven't you? You've got exactly yes. the same setup. As your exactly, opponent. yeah. yeah. What, what but, well, he said, yeah, he said that at his chess club, so he's pretty good, obviously. He said at his chess club, if you sat him down with a um, hundred people, uh, all reasonably new to the game, then he could guarantee that he would beat them all. He would bet like a lot of money on him beating a hundred people in a row. <laughs> so his view is that yes, chess is very much a, if you're good at it, you will win all the time. It's definitely skills based, practice based. There's no chance. There's no kind of no chance that an amateur will beat him. He didn't. <laughs> he didn't. Uh, he didn't just shout. White is broken and flip the table over. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking knight. Why is he able to do that? That's ridiculous. <laughs> no, he didn't do that. <laughs> That's yeah, like, no, I think you are a me book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna change the night. It can go four forward and one right instead. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> <laughs> They've been waiting an update longer than Bretonians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not by much though. <laughs> so yeah, no, that was. I just thought it was quite interesting. So yeah, through that. But yeah, that's me. That's cool. Good. What games have you been up to then, Grant? Okay, um, I think uh, I've been involved in uh, all of those. You guys are involved in nearly all my games, um, except I went to the Claymore Wargame Show uh, just last weekend in uh, in Edinburgh, 
uh, run out, run by I think it's South East Scotland War Games Club. Yeah, I went around some of the vendors. Uh, it's largely the same kind of folks that we were seeing Joe in the at Carnade. Carnade, yes. And it's probably a good thing because, as we were saying last time, I mean, it took us ages to get around Carnade, and then we didn't wind up doing much. Uh, so th this time I was looking around fairly fairly similar sorts of um, uh, vendors. Uh, do you remember that? Uh, do you remember those rivers we were looking at, Joe? The rumours. Rivers, the really nice uh, oh, terrain. Rivers, yes. Yeah, I think, yeah. There's a lot um, of good terrain there. Yeah, I, I, bought a, I, I bought a fair amount of that. I bought a river <laughs> uh, in, in sections for, for wargaming. Cause it looks, oh, excellent. Uh, so nice. It's uh, by... Um, actually, does company actually have a... Yes, it's uh, The Last Valley, and I will actually put a link to his... Uh, he doesn't have a website. His name's Andrew Worsley. He's and, yeah, he's got a Flickr account. I will put a, a, a link in that in the show notes because he's got really nice looking um, uh, all sorts of terrain for different scales, uh, roads and rivers and, and all that sort of stuff for your wargaming needs. Uh, also, cool. uh, went along to speak to the Edinburgh League of Gamer folks. <clears throat> and uh, they were running Blood Bowl and uh, Dungeon Bowl. Uh, oh, there were sort of demo, demo games of them. And uh, I, I just... I think they're doing it for noobs, but I, I just I just kind of crashed it in there because I fancied the game of uh, Blood Bowl. So I played a half of Blood Bowl at one point, and uh, I think it was Andreas who uh, uh, kindly uh, played me a game. Uh, and in the first half, I, I took a, my orcs took on his uh, humans, and uh, yeah, it was good fun. Uh, so thanks him for that. There's going to be a scoring. Did the humans score one? It was one nil to me. Ah, good work. I, I caged up nicely and punched, punched his guys in the face. <laughs> it's the orky way. Definitely. Good ball genius, Grant. Winning all these tournaments and games. Well, Blood Bowl, that one. Oh, Blood uh, Bowl, sorry. I missed it. I heard that. Yeah, um, Ronnie from Mantic Games is there. I was just itching to get have a word with him because this, I knew his Kickstarter was starting up. And uh, never... He was always doing demo games on a song and then he wasn't there, so uh, yeah, it was a shame I didn't get a chat with him. But uh, man, uh, could have totally pimped him your podcast. Could have, yeah. Well, I didn't even know I was going to do that podcast <laughs> at that point. That was kind of a moment of madness a couple of days ago. But uh, yeah, so I spoke to him. Uh, sorry, I d didn't speak to him. Uh, but probably, yeah, I'm not probably not encouraging speak speak him to speak to me when I'm sitting playing one of his a major competitor to one of his games uh, but there you go in global um, but there's going to be a tournament uh, the Oco Bowl at uh, Sterling uh, Common Ground Games in Sterling uh, which is quite tempting um, also there's the very same that is on the uh, 18th so 16th is a Saturday of August uh, brilliantly it's the same day as uh, the Dreadball tournament in Dundee. Ah. That's right, pain in the arse. That's a pain in the arse. Oh, I might see if I'm not working that day, I might try and play some Blood Bowl. I haven't played for ages. Oh yeah, if, oh yeah, totally. If if you're not uh if if you can if you can make it to Sterling I'll totally uh, uh that that'll be my mind made up. Uh, totally. anyway I can't make it to the Dundee one. 
Yeah, because yes, uh, the Dreadball tournaments in, in yeah in Dundee at Highlander Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that that's also on the 16th. For anyone interested, uh, go to uh, Scotland uh, Scottish Dreadball League and find out about that. I think uh, El uh, the sorry the Sterling War Gamers I think will be running the uh, Blood Bowl tournament. So you can look there. Um, who else did I did I go and see? Uh, Ah, there was uh, Dave from the War Games Emporium. He come up, come up all the way from Sheffield, and he was demoing uh, slash uh, uh, playtesting his uh, six millimeter uh, tank game, uh, sci-fi tank game, Command Horizon. Uh, you can you can search that in the internet, Command Horizon. Uh, yeah, that was really fun actually. It was a command point based system, and um, we're playing a scenario where he had to come over. We're playing across a uh, Lava flow uh, with with a sort of a black rock bridge going over it. Uh, yeah, that that was a lot of fun actually. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I liked those. Everything felt quite sort of fluid in the motion. I suppose it comes with playing war games without bases and uh, where every models an individual model rather than sitting on a sitting on a movement tray or whatever. Uh, I quite like the feeling of doing that. Uh, Quite freeing after having played all the, all this fancy. So, yep, played that and uh, shout out to him. He, um, I might get him on the podcast. Actually, uh, we're talking about that. Yeah, uh, make it happen. Yeah, well, I'll be in contact with him. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think that's me for games actually. At that point, it was quite funny. There was the bringing by, and having been to, I'm quite sure I've seen. Uh, those bringing bys, the same stuff that people have brought along to to uh, compulsion and carronade, mm. and they keep wheeling out trying to sell it. Do you remember <laughs> seeing? I think you're probably right. What, Did like, you buy the Dark Elder? <laughs> <laughs> I heard about. Oh, that. No, good me, gets me. I I don't think that at that price that stuff would have been hanging around too long. Yeah, but yeah, a lot of it was kind of the same stuff. I think. Like I say, I think some maybe some shops went out of business in the nineties and people have been people thought they were getting a bargain by picking picking up in the bargain basement and uh keep on trying to sell the same stuff. It's <laughs> an interesting theory. Interesting. So sorry, were you saying something, Cole? Yeah. Uh no, no. I I think I maybe what did I ask um what were the repeat items? What was it that kept coming up? Uh, there's, a, there's a board game called Race for the Galaxy, which I think I might have seen. I think I might have seen at Compulsion last year. <laughs> they bring it by sale. I need to go along with all my blooming uh, dwarfs and horses. Sell some Warhammer items. Mm-hmm. All in preparation for getting the for the for the new Bretonian book coming out. Call. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You and George R. R. Martin, he'll be getting it as well, won't he? You man, the Game of Thrones man. Indeed. No, well, no new book. He's just going to be reading the new Brett's book and coming up with a yeah. broken ball. <laughs> well, just steal from that. Yeah. <laughs> that Although it's interesting, I should have mentioned actually, the Wood Elves book. There is a bit of um, fluff. The the new fluff they've added is um, quite poor, I would say. But they do actually tell you who the Lady of the Lake is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Huh. No mystery anymore. No. Who is it? Apparently she's called Corrigan. 
Just Corrigan awesome. Lady of the Mists, who was cool. someone a bit like Ariel, apparently. What, the mermaid? She wearing shells in her boobs. <laughs> Could be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't go into that much detail and stuff. So that was a bit that I thought was a bit disappointing, that it kind of just suddenly just, just got rid of all that mystique and stuff. Yeah, because uh, that was a, that was one of the big mysteries in the Brett book, isn't it? Yeah, it's like whether it was it Ariel, was it a wood elf or something? But they like say, no, it's not a wood elf. It's someone who's like the wood elves who've been imbued with the power of nature. So they define so they define this character, and we know who she is now. But they just kind of name they just kind of name they just kind of like a name's given, and there's, there's the kind of exchanges that Ariel, the queen of the wood elves. You know the uh, nature personified. It just goes off and has like a couple of chats with her, and and it's kind of uh, tied back into some of their old fluff with Morgor, the Beastman corrupter guy. Like he was the enemy of the Wood Elves, but then he started attacking Bretonia, and that's because of uh, or Corrigan was the protector of that area or something. Right. So, so yeah, I wasn't very impressed. But yeah. Right. <laughs> well, the chances of the Lady of the Lake will be a new character in the uh, Brett book then. Well, that's um, what I was getting. Could be. Think. Could be because Orion's in the Wood Elf book, and he's like the male equivalent of Ariel. He's like the avatar of a god. He's like six hundred points or something. All right. Okay. Yeah. She could be. Yeah. Cool. cool. Okay. So that's certainly all my updates. Uh, next up, we'll talk about uh, one of the one of the games that we one of the games that we missed out. We skipped over just there and go into some more detail. Session nine. Okay, welcome back, folks. Uh, we're going to now talk about uh, Joe's in development uh, dungeon bash game uh, called Stag Quest. Well, it was called Stag Quest because it's bespoke designed for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> bespoke <laughs> designed for, uh, for Matt's. Uh, Stag. Stag do. Quest. <laughs> why do you, why do you tell us you're busting, Joe? Tell tell us uh, we've already we've already <laughs> talked about it in uh, a few episodes ago. Uh, so give us a brief overview, and then oh, let me just tell us briefly about it. Oh wait, uh, the brief overview is is a dungeon mash game. You pick your character from a number of of motley crew of uh, who do you have to choose from. Yeah, classic elves, dwarves, humans, wizards, hobbits, strange cowled imp, might be a kobold, didn't really know. Uh, they were the hero characters. And then I was using the Wrath, Wrath of a Shardalon um, Dungeon and Dragons board game tiles to build the dungeon. And um, it was a quest that was designed, as you say, for Matt's stag do, so it needed to accommodate a large number of players, some of whom would potentially drift away from the game and then might come back and play later and stuff. Um, so it, it dealt with that. And yeah, it was just a big a big brawl through an orc lair to try and either um, fight, fight away past the, the dire trolls or to kill the orc shaman to find the key so that they could uh, unlock the door and uh, escort um, the, the, the fat friar, friar book from Bookfast Abbey with the relief drinks, that if you got them to the dwarf defenders, then they'd be able to uh, use that brew to brew up their magic potion in an asterisk style and uh, overcome the siege of the orcs. Um, but do? then I think, no. <laughs> spoilers. 
but then it's it's over to to you guys because I, I really need your feedback on how you how you found the game, how it went, how you, you know how you think it went, bits that you enjoyed, bits that didn't work so well. I quite enjoyed the um, the what was it one you mean one you mean uh, aims was to be able to sort of pick it up and have all the bookkeeping to a minimum. So basically, all we had was you know tokens. Uh, for wounds and tokens for experience, and I think that was about it, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. Yeah. I think that worked well. Uh, we, uh, it it did go on quite long, uh, but it's very difficult. I mean, that was like the sort of second game of it, wasn't it? It was the second game of it, and it was the second game at the stag, and the first game had resulted in Matt puking in a bath. About <laughs> half an hour before we started the quest, <laughs> I think was given that. <laughs> <laughs> but Matt, he made it through to. He came back for stag quest, and he made it through to the yeah. end of stag quest. So. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I think, from my point of view, I think it's pretty. It's quite hard to give it a fair evaluation because. Um, the context was very... <laughs> I don't know, well I suppose, what, what are you aiming for with this game, Joe? Are you aiming for it to be a serious dungeon bash or is it supposed to be played in that kind of... Was the drinking an intrinsic part of it or was that just added for the stag do? Uh, I would say that was added for the stag do. Okay, so that's that was, not going to be a part of the main game? I think, no, I'll take that out of the main game. Okay. But uh, I don't know, it'd be, it'd be nice to have maybe just have the, the crazy drinking rules. Yeah. as well, so you can play it that way if you want. But, but yeah. yeah, if I was going to do the, the main game and develop it, I'd want it to be more, uh, a bit more more serious and more balanced, and more about your character progression. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, it was just the missed one. You just like if you killed three dudes, you got to pick a new skill. Or yeah, because <laughs> it was good. Like I, I really like the the um, the structure, the fact that it is quite quick. It's quite easy. It is a bit. It's that. I mean, I don't know HeroQuest very well, but you were talking about the fact that you put in. Well, Grant was talking about the fact that the knockbacks make it quite more dynamic. Um, and I thought that was quite good. Not that I would know the difference when it wasn't like that, but it seemed to work well to me. The only, I mean, obviously the, the problem on the day that we had was that we were all absolutely pissed and <laughs> stormed in and went off in different directions to try and kill the closest monster to us, um, which generally meant that we all really struggled because it was like, one-on-one when it shouldn't have been at all yeah. <laughs> and all the monsters are quite tough and we kept setting new monsters free like I, yeah. I like that I like that that structure as well so you go through you see a new tile or you see a blank tile I suppose and then that turns over and new monsters appear every time so that's cool um, but it just didn't really suit the context at the time with our uh, drunken cavalier play <laughs> yeah standard practice dungeon bash uh, tactica would be to deal with the monsters you've got yeah. then you know <laughs> yeah. standard Dumping. assassin protocol don't draw oh, as much aggro as possible by running through the dungeon screaming yeah. <laughs> kind exactly. of <laughs> running past the monsters you see to find some more <laughs> well, I think it's we're, we're given uh, part of the drinking rules was uh, kind of getting a continue to come back from the start yeah. when you die but that actually yeah. held us back a bit because um because you had the knockdowns and you know knockbacks and knockdowns, uh, it wound up just kind of slowing us down a bit, and we end up not dying. It would have been better if we had died and just started again, uh, with you know with full at full strength. Um, I think in terms of gaming it, 
Oh, right. What, as, as a whole party, you mean? What, like all dying and coming back all together? Or just. No, I mean. Well, Dave, Dave played that uh, uh, dwarf berserker uh, who uh, just he, he spent the whole time on his back kind of thing. And if he had just died and come back in a sort of arcade, I mean, it, a lot it does feel a bit gauntlet-ish uh, at some points. If he just died and continued from the start. Yeah. I mean, he had the option, but he kept wanting to come back where he was. And he did kill a lot of stuff. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he did totally play the troll slayer as he should and just run off on his own. Yeah. A whole bunch of monsters. Yes. And he did remarkably well, but, but still moaned about it afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> it, <was> like, <laughs> it should work. I should just be able to go off and kill all these monsters. <laughs> yeah. I think well, he anyway, I think... get to the end of the dungeon and kill the big monster. <laughs> but it wasn't quite tough enough. <laughs> Yeah, it was helped out with my covering fire. Uh, I think you know I've I played a game since, and I took a took a control of about three or four, uh, three three heroes against the dungeon uh, without drinking rules, and uh, that was brilliant fun. Uh, it's like I say, we re- really saw this. Um, really saw this. What do you call it? Um, that that dynamism. I mean, think about in my head. I've been thinking since. You know, since playing uh, Hero Quest and 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 Gauntlet on the on the computer, uh, what's in my head of these Dungeon Bash games isn't to isn't you know heroes standing there and repeatedly whacking things over the head. It's you know things jumping around, being knocked back, but it's never really rep- been represented on the board. Actually, Dwarf King's Told does it a bit because you have. Uh, shield bashes there, but I never used those in certainly not in the second Dwarf King's whole game that I've got, where you can actually push people out the way. Oh no, the elves do, don't they? The the elves dodge in Dwarf King's hold. But there's more of that in this, and it's much more multi multi dimensional. Where uh, some uh, some characters in in Stag Quest will. Uh, dodge out the way instead of taking wounds, or some of them will be not. You know, standard practice. Whenever you hit something, you'll knock it back and knock it yeah. over, or knock it into a wall, and that will damage it instead. Or yeah. it'll have the choice of where it moves to when it gets hit, or it won't get hit, and it'll maybe be knocked over face down, or maybe knocked over, knocked over onto its back. Those are those are different, and it, it does it make it that that word I keep using dynamic. It, it does make it a lot more like that. Yeah, it's nice. It's the fact the fact that it's not just literally you're stacking up the points. So you're not just hitting him and hitting him and hitting him until he dies. You can get around him and knock him into a wall, like you say, or you can do a combo attack and wait for somebody else to knock him down, and then you do the finisher type of thing. And it's yeah, I do I do like the combat system. You do feel like you are uh, combining your skills and and mm-hmm. yeah, a bit a bit in the sort of an XCOM way where you have. Uh, diff- you're, you're combining the skills. You're you got synergies between the two uh, between your uh, party members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that works. One one is maybe better. One card's maybe better. Knock them down, and someone else can nick in. So while someone else is laying down, covering fire, and you're all doing your different all doing your different things. Yeah, Joe, do you think this would be uh, um, just a one-off? Battle every time, or would it be campaign style? Like, what's Hero Quest intended as, or is it both? Hero Quest is Hero Quest is intended as campaign style. Well, Advanced Hero Quest is, and uh, even the basic Hero Quest had 
kind of rules for ongoing campaign. That wasn't as as big a feature in that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think ultimately I'd like it to be support the campaign style and have more into character development. Um, I'm thinking the way to go would probably be having generally a party size of about four or five or so if you had a, a two or three player game they might take on a couple of characters each which I think makes it um, a bit more interesting and gives you a bit more to do rather than just having the one character yeah. um, and then some... I think some of, your, some of your characters can summon monsters and I suppose the other way to get around that and to have more to do yeah. would be to uh, to be hiding henchmen yeah that's that's Good point. Actually, that would be probably a, yeah another way of, do, of doing that and make that more yeah. interesting. Because, like I say, then you can use the henchmen to support you and uh, increase the effectiveness of your attacks, or uh, might have to send them off to hold off an oncoming threat while you deal with the monsters that are already there or something. Yeah, because the, the problem with this type of game, I th from my limited experience with them anyway, uh, is that you can end up playing for two or three hours mm. and there's not much variety to it because you've you've got your character and he's only got two or three different types of attacks and obviously you're not doing all the role playing and stuff that and the different scenarios and things that makes a two or three hour role playing session interesting you're just in a dungeon literally walking about so uh, you need that kind of either a variety of characters to play with or the thing that occurred to me was whether you could have um, just more upgrades quicker like could mm. you manage to have those kind of improvements just little smaller incremental improvements as you go along a lot quicker because I remember that about Baldur's Gate the, the old uh, console Baldur's Gate game basically you get a, some kind of small upgrade every probably 20-30 minutes I think that from my experience playing playing it, mind you, I had three characters when I was playing it so I was getting that once every 20-30 minutes Mm -hmm. uh, so I suppose if you're only controlling one character, maybe not so much. But even that's quite fast for if you think over the course of a campaign. You play yeah, that. no, absolutely. Yeah, that that's kind of why I'm think why I said small incremental type of things because I know you couldn't you couldn't sustain like big improvements or a new skill or you know a point up every single time. It would have to be something a bit less grand, but something that changes it slightly. Mm -hmm. Just something else you can do. Well, maybe take it from computer games where you get a sort of a kill bonus thing. Uh, something like, you know, in the wrestling games, you'd have uh, a meter that builds up as your sort of awesomeness meter goes up, and as you're killing more and more mooks, you get you build up to sort of um, one, like a super move. That's a nice idea. Yeah. Aye. So you can do. You have one. So yeah, exactly. You have one super move type thing that you can do, but only do it every 10, 20 attacks. Or the Space Marine game that we were talking about earlier on, that had the way you healed in that game wasn't by looking for for many packs. It was by yeah. <laughs> no, it was just you kind of just got awesome points by killing more orcs. Then if you killed them in close combat, you healed. There was no real logic to it. It just kind of felt right. So when your your back's up against the wall and you're almost dead. The best thing to do wasn't to hide and try and sneak around to get that medipack. The best thing to do was to either go out in a blaze of glory or, you know, come back fighting. Yeah, there should really Which, be some kind of bonuses for like taking on three monsters by yourself as well. That type of stuff, like David did, ran off and killed four or five things. Like <clears throat> you get some sort of extra awesome points for yeah. for doing crazy things. <laughs> 
But then in space, the downside would be that you die and you have to go back again. Mm. So, and then that's what made those moments exciting. That was a really good design uh, sort of feature that. It made it visceral. Just like, in, just like in Dawn of War, going back to another 40k game, uh, which replaced, uh, well, THQ Relic replaced, you know, the, the old Red Alert thing where you have mining trucks or you had your farmers out going for, going for resources. No, your resources were you get from the middle of the board and it forced you to attack. Uh, these these certain points in the middle of the board and force you to actually do the things that are fun. Okay. Yeah. No, no that's that's interesting. That, and that makes sense. Yeah, you want to reward that kind of sense of of danger and build up your build up your kills or build up maybe when you take hits or something your frustration. I mean, that does increase a bit of bookkeeping, though, doesn't it? That's the only thing problem. Quite like mm. the counters the bookkeeping. Dials. Yeah, for every, uh, <laughs> oh, dials, nice, yeah. yeah. We've got these MDF MDF bases that we MDF uh, dials that we got. Could use them, yeah. yeah the dials. <laughs> I think you. I, I do admire your uh, aim there, Joe. Keeping the bookkeeping to a minimum because that is nice. But there is like reward is probably one of the biggest kind of things that makes a right. makes a game fun. So you do need something, some kind of bookkeeping, I suppose, to actually, right. Yeah, actually, if, if the players are doing the bookkeeping, it's not a problem. That's fine. Mm, yeah, you've yeah. only got a limited amount of stuff to keep track of each. It's just like yeah. more bookkeeping for the 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 DM or. Oh, so was that your aim? It wasn't so yeah, much. Yeah, that was my aim. More, yeah, yeah. The yeah. GM. Yeah. So, yeah, that's fine. That, that would make sense. That'd be quite. Fun. Yeah, that's something to bring in then. Some sort of rage meter or something for <laughs> characters that let them pull off super moves. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and we'll have a yeah, bunch. We'll have a bunch more uh, fancy models to play with, and, uh, and maybe some more dungeon tiles to play with. Uh, this time next year, when I get my Kickstarter stuff back off, uh, um, Dungeon Saga. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be interesting to see how they they compare. And uh, I guess the other thing with with, with Stag Quest is that makes it different from other dungeon crawls. Is that it's it's the way the dungeon appears using those tiles, it's it's more open and it's more of a, a kind of fluid fight moving about the corridors instead of a lot of dungeon crawls like Hero Quest and Advanced Hero Quest is like you're walking down a corridor and then you come to a room and then when you open the door it starts an encounter in that room. Whereas that quest is not really like that. It's like mm. a kind of a big ongoing brawl and you need to the heroes need to kind of manage that and get to a point where they've Contain the immediate monsters, and they can actually search their surroundings without, you know, triggering any more sentries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like the yeah, I like the wide the the sort of the width of a lot of the corridors, um, and a lot of the junctions were three squares wide in uh, in in those uh, Shardalon um, tiles, and that made a big difference from what we wind up with in uh, Hero Quest, uh, where there's lots of you know, two wide corridors and the doors are one square wide and makes some things very cramped and uh, very static. And that, that's another thing that encouraged um, things to move around. Uh, at one point I had to, you know, my three guys and and one magically summoned boar were really revealed so many 
well, it was Ratman you had, Ratman that you were controlling, Joe, and where, where I was just playing by myself. And they just at one point I had to completely shift where I was fighting. I had to back myself into a corner, and yeah, that was pretty exciting stuff. When uh, one of my guys was basically getting kicked down the corridor, still surviving. <laughs> so it, it it felt like he was at risk all the time, but he was getting up and go, getting up and dropping, getting up and dropping as he was sort of hard pressed being. I was just imagine being sort of pushed and kicked down the corridor while while as as the other guys in his party were trying to cover his cover his retreat to varying degrees of success and trying to squeeze the squeeze the rat hordes in, into this one area and keep them keep them pinned back and desperately trying to uh, summon more summon more uh, magic boars to just just to get in the way. <laughs> and uh, contain the threat. It, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, <laughs> that was, yeah, it was quite climactic. Yeah, when you triggered the the quest room, and uh, I thought I thought I had you, but somehow they managed to fight their way through it and uh, triumphed, didn't they? The, your three adventurers. Well, you know, you know my theory. <laughs> <laughs> I picked the right character. Yeah, Grant's theory is that the duelist character would be broken because that would be the kind of character I would like. <laughs> Uh, I see. Yes. <laughs> I see that. Yeah. <laughs> Always find the game designer's favorite class. Yeah. That's right. In fact, you pick, you pick, you're using three characters that I like all of them because they're like yeah. elves, wood elf, archer, and the beastmaster and the duelist. <laughs> that was probably it. Yeah. Oh really? <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> well done, Grant. Exactly. Um, but another difference as well when I was playing with you, Grant, is that, like we said, it was Ratmen rather than the Orcs. And I think um, in the big game, I'd maybe maybe dial the threat a bit too high and like not fully accounted for how difficult the Orcs would be to take out because they had a higher toughness and um, a lot of them had shields and some of them had armor as well. And the I was going to say shields are yeah. really good forcing rerolls, uh, parry rerolls. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're pretty good. They're a good bit of kit, so um, that is a lot of work to, to do in in terms of trying to balance exactly what what the the different level minions are and what equipment they start with and what equipment the characters start with and how that gets upgraded and stuff. Um, so look forward to playing some more games. And um, I think that the reward cycle is pretty. Pretty good. You get stuff quite quickly, especially if you you remember to to stop and actually search the rooms for treasure. Mm. Yeah. Um, See, yeah, I've only we... played one game where we did it properly, um, and that was a while back now. So I'm trying to remember, but yeah. Yeah, I don't that think you ever played more games. Yeah, that'd be co- that'd be cool. Because I was thinking that big game. I don't think we ever actually stopped no. search treasure. It was just like one big rolling fight that just kept going, and people kept yeah. I yeah. more monsters. <laughs> yeah, and I tried to stop to search a room in the other game. I seem to remember, and then I got abuse for it. <laughs> like there was somebody getting attacked at the time, and so I got in trouble. And, you know, something <laughs> so you, well, try and thing. Rules, you try and play the thing that's supposed to happen, <laughs> and then. <laughs> well, there's a thing. Um, what is the is your your intention, Joe? I mean, I know for the. For the stag doer looking at it to be kind of competitive, who gets the most treasure? Uh, are yeah. are you looking for it to be a cooperative, or, or two sides heroes v heroes v dungeon, or dungeon uh, master? 
Yeah, I think so. Heroes v Heroes v Heroes v Dungeon, but with that competitive element between the heroes. Like the heroes all need to work together to win, but between them, you know, the treasure they find and the the levels, the advances they get are individual. So this, they have to compete for those. So you expect some kill, kill stealing. Yeah, some kill stealing and some moaning about treasure and things and yeah, and some like running past, trying to run past people so that you can you can search the corridor before them and stuff. Because they're putting that in, then it makes it more likely the heroes will bugger up and trigger more monsters, so no one gets any treasure. So <laughs> mm-hmm. it's that kind of prisoner's dilemma that if you cooperate a bit, then you might get a bit less than you could get if you weren't cooperating. But if none of you cooperate, then you all lose because more monsters turn up. <laughs> See that? So I was just trying to play by your philosophy then, Joe, and I still got abuse. <laughs> <laughs> Called metagaming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> cool. But yeah, no, definitely. I think I think it's, uh, it was great fun. Well, for playing some more more games. Of it. Yeah, well, that's good to hear, and that'll give me some uh, motivation to actually write some of the rules down and. Uh, Look at balancing it. Look at it from a starting perspective, because I just turned up with a pre-gen character, so I need to just figure out a way of a points by system, so you can, you know, say I want to play this character, I want to, you know, choose your race, and then have a, a pool for buying equipment and starting skills from. Sounds good. Cool. Okay then, guys. Um, so that's us all for about Stag Quest this week. Then uh, we'll uh, just take quick break and then say goodbye. Dicing with design, giving games life. Alright folks, we're just going to say goodbye. Uh, before we do though, we're going to tell you about how to get in contact. Uh, first of all, I'll uh, tell you about how to get in contact with me interested about the Dungeon Saga uh, podcast. Uh, <laughs> if you just forgot. get, sorry, almost forgot the name there. Did you? <laughs> well, the fact is, it's had about three different names. Even oh, the, the week running up to the Kickstarter's still in some bits on their website. They're calling it Dungeon Sagas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's currently called Dungeon Saga Dwarf Dwarf King's Quest, which I think is just you know this version of it with the uh, mm-hmm. with the undead and stuff. Uh, anyway. It might be like more versions of uh, um, more versions of later. I think yeah. the heading is the Dungeon Saga, and then doesn't anyway. seem terribly dwarfy at the moment for a Dwarf King's quest. But it's yeah. set in a dwarf's dwarf king's in the hold of a dwarf king. Okay, but the undead are all human-sized. They're not dwarf-sized. Uh, there's four. Oh, there's some dwarf ones unlock, isn't there? Yeah. yeah, if you spotted the one with the uh, the spot the undead dwarfs all have beards, even though they're skeletal. Spectral <laughs> beards. Dwarves yeah. always have beards. It doesn't matter if they're just bald or not. And they also they they also grow straight out of their skulls. <laughs> they actually, I would complain if they didn't have beards. <laughs> yes, you I, would. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Dwarves, otherwise. <laughs> anyway, if you want, to, you can you can get in touch with that podcast through the first few episodes are actually on your uh, on your uh, dicing with design feed. Uh, but there's actually uh, a new feed that I've started, so from episode four onwards, you'll need to get that through the Dungeon Saga podcast feed. So just search for Dungeon Saga 
podcast uh, with your usual podcatcher. Uh, and if you want to get in contact with me about that, then you can uh, contact me through at Grant Sensei would be the primary way I think of doing that. Otherwise, you can also get in touch through one of the other uh, methods just if you go into the Dicing with Design page and look for Get in Touch. You can get in touch through all those methods that are there. Indeed. Please leave us a voicemail. That'd be great. I've got a voicemail tool on the website now, so you can go to DicingWithDesign.com and uh, look on the right-hand side. There's a wee tab that says Leave us a voicemail. Click that, and all you have to do is have a microphone set up in some way, anything at all. It can even be like the internal mic on your laptop or whatever, and it will record a message. Just uh, leave us a question, leave us a comment, any kind of feedback, whatever you think. Um, a question would be great, actually, wouldn't it? It could answer something. Um, just ask our opinions on something or, uh, I don't know, anything you want, leave us a voicemail. It'd be great to get somebody else's voice on the show. Yeah, or just put us right. Uh, we do have, we did, we have yeah. had a voicemail. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, oh yeah, of course. We're hearing it. That one on soon. <laughs> I put it on, I did put it on the last day. I can't, I can't forget, I put, I've been using his voice as spacers. It's a, a very, uh, a very bright young lad. His, his father must be proud of him. Uh, there's a familiar voice in the background, uh, and the, the young the young man who was uh, who sent in a message, uh, which you'll have heard used as spacers, uh, the last couple of episodes actually. There's cool. a like, bye bye Grant, bye bye Colin uh, at the end of every episode now. <laughs> Good stuff. So that was that was Joe's wee boy that you you'll be hearing. Uh, yeah. You'll be hearing more from him if you don't leave us with the messages. So. <laughs> 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 cool. All right. Cheerio, folks. Yep. Cheerio. See you later. <laughs> Talk to you next time. Bye, Colin. Bye, Colin.